We're hearing slogans such as Build Back Better and the Global Reset from national leaders who posture on the world stage and concern themselves with ever greater means of control under the guise of false emergencies and scare campaigns. Vaccine passports are the next great thing. It's all for our benefit. With the US national debt reaching $28 trillion, that's $4 trillion more than a year ago, and real domestic emergencies, exploding crime and violence and other social crises, and a loss of control on their southern border, you would think the leader of the free world would look at getting his house in order first. However, the corporate tax rate is soon to rise and the new administration is looking to coordinate with other countries in a scheme for a global minimum tax rate. In Australia, the focus is not on economic reform. Though we have, for now, insulated ourselves from the worst effects of COVID-19 with very strict draconian border controls. There will be a reckoning, though, when our borders open, and that could be next year, the year after, or 2024. Australian national debt is over $700 billion and is expected to reach $1 trillion in a few short years. Government really should be fixing things in their own backyard, such as supporting the environment for business and employment growth and removing costly regulation and infrastructure constraints from important sectors of the economy, such as agriculture, mining and manufacturing. This is not happening quickly enough. A prosperous agricultural sector is critical to supplying not only Australia's own food needs, but those of the rest of the world. In 2020-2021, the gross value of agricultural production is estimated at $66 billion. In spite of this staggering figure, most of us appreciate that our farmers have been doing it tough in recent years. Senator Malcolm Roberts from One Nation is on a mission to remove the impediments to growth of this critical sector of the economy. Senator Malcolm Roberts, thanks for joining us. You're welcome, Mike. Good to be with you again. The gross value of Australian agricultural production is expected to come in at a staggering $66 billion in 2021. However, farmers face many problems. What's the greatest of these? Well, water is number one because water is a huge multiplier. You get good soil like at Colston Lakes uh, uh, just inland from Bundy and, and Maribor, and it just magnifies the productivity enormously, like four or five, sometimes ten times as much, Mike. So that's pure profit just by providing water. The second one is um, property rights and making sure that farmers are free of regulation so they can actually do their job. And the third one is uh, is is access to labor because if you've got crops grown planted grown and you can't harvest them well you're not going to make any money and if you can't sow them in the first place you can't make any money and the fourth one is energy we've discussed that many times energy is the multiplier it's the key but at the moment water regulations over regulations and lack of lack of workers and so what it means is that farmers are at the mercy of fire flood drought and they need to be agile and getting their resources together in the right environment, a productive environment, so that farmers can actually make some money and give us food and fibre. What are the costs and uh, worst examples of regulations faced by farmers 
in Queensland, for example. Well, we've discussed the, the stealing of farmers' property rights as a result of the compliance with the UN's Kyoto Protocol, but that's, that's the biggest overall, and that goes beyond Queensland. But in Queensland, the biggest cost is regulations, and right now they're being savaged by this state Labor government, Mike, um, and over reef regulations. Now, these are supposedly based upon science, but they're not. We've, ex- we've exposed that in Senate um, inquiry of, of the so-called academics who are pushing this nonsense. Um, they claim that the pesticides and also f- excess fertilizers are going out into the ocean and polluting the Barrier Reef. It's absolute rubbish. For a start, we, we under my questioning, and along with Senator Jared Rennick, uh, we got the first time ever we've got the figure out. It's only one and a half percent of the Barrier Reef that's supposedly affected because that's the only amount of reef um, that is affected by that is that is in a reef. There have been measurements on the outer reef and middle reef. No pesticides, no trace, not even in the one in a billion parts. No um, excess nitrogen at all. Nothing at all. So it's just the one and a half percent of the inner reef, and that is shown no change. So the targets for pesticides are not being exceeded. The middle and outer reefs are pristine, as I said. There have been no coral growth rates since 2005, which is 15 years of no data. So I don't know what they're basing these claims on. Um, And so there's no need for regulations whatsoever. The other thing, Mike, is that farmers have made huge changes over the last couple of decades, but there's no sign of changes in the reef. So they've had huge impact on their farming practices, huge cost imposts, but no difference on that, that inner reef and certainly no, no touching of the outer reef. So what we've got is costs in the, in the millions, hundreds of millions to the Queensland agricultural sector and costs to the tens of thousands of individual family farms for no benefit. So this is what's really hurting the farmers. Tell us about water security and what parts of the country are still struggling with insufficient water supplies, which is quite ridiculous if you think about it. We've had so much rain and yet uh, there's just not, still not enough water around in parts of the, uh, of the country, in particular Queensland. Yes, I will. Uh, perhaps if I could just add a bit more to what the farmers are facing in regulations, because Mike... I don't know of a single farmer that puts on excess pesticides, excess nitrogen fertilizers, because they just get flushed out to sea. They don't want that. They make sure that they look after the environment because the environment is going to determine the, the, the this resale price they get for their property when they sell and retire. So they like the environment. They want to take care of the environment, and they don't want to flush excess uh, money down, down the rivers and onto the reef. So it's complete nonsense. It's against the farmer's that they would waste it in the first place, and there's no evidence of it. But when it comes to water, um, we've seen Gyra and Tamworth in northern New South Wales facing severe shortages of water. We know that Stanthorpe in in, uh, southern Queensland near the New South Wales border ran out of water and had been cutting water now by trucks for 15 months, and it's cost uh, cost the Queensland government about $10 million dollars. Um, fortunately, the dam, Storm King, Storm King Dam, is now full again after the recent rains. But you know that ten million dollars, Mike, could have been used to build uh, three or four town weirs to hold the water that's needed to get them through to the get them through the next drought. And our One Nation policy, which we'll be releasing soon for water, um, show, has a weirs for life. I think we called it weirs for life policy, which will make sure that the height of the weirs is raised to capture five years' worth of water supply for critical uh, towns 
right throughout the bush. What about the impact of costs to farmers? What is it? Yeah, well, it's not just farmers, Mike. And in uh, 2000, the uh, I've got some figures here. We had about in storage and dams, we had uh, uh, 2.78, say 2.8 megalitres per head of population. By 2030, they're expecting that to be down to 1.75, a 30% cut. So it's, it's affecting the whole country. But what it means that for farmers is that they can't plant the crops that they're wanting to plant. Um, some of them, for example, around Bundaberg, around Bundaberg have changed their cropping to get more high-valued crops. And now all of a sudden Paradise Dam, um, which was built by the Beatty government, I think, in 2005, is uh, showing signs that of, of uh, potential failure. And so they've reduced the dam wall, dam wall uh, capacity, sorry, the dam wall height, and therefore the capacity of the dam. So these are the challenges because what happens is with if you have water unavailable, it, it means you don't plant much crop. Or if you have a slower, lower quantity of water, you change the crop. So that means you have diff- you have reduced incomes the following year, and you also have a loss of, of, of uh, confidence, uh, psychological impact, not just on the farmers, but on the whole communities. <laughs> and, and the Queensland government has got itself into this mess because they've driven this, this state broke. We're now, we have a debt now of about $120, $130 billion, um, and... 10 billion was due to COVID last year, but the rest was due to um, due to negligence and and stupidity from the Beatty government, the Bly government, and now the Palaszczuk government. And the farmers are paying the price for that. What can be done? I mean, we we hear a lot now about the uh, the problems with uh, uh, Bundaberg and the citrus growers, cotton growers, uh, because there just won't be enough water. How do we fix this? I know we've got to build bigger and better dams, but short-term wise, what's the answer? Well, we do need to build dams, uh, but what we need to do is look at a whole productive capacity of our country, Mike. Um, that means taxation, energy prices. Uh, these have all been artificially wrecked by federal and state governments. I mean, we can't get workers into the bush to, to plant crops, to harvest crops um, and process crops. And and, and so we're import. We're wanting to import people, but we can't do the backpackers at the moment because of the coronavirus. And and so basically, there's a lack of courage in our in our leadership in state and federal level. They're woke. They're afraid to build dams. We, we see Warragamba Dam in New South Wales, for goodness sake. It's just it's just spilled over after Flannery and the others who said that we would never it would never uh, flow over again. Um, we can't build, we can't increase the size of the, the height of that damn wall to capture more water because we've got a UN restrictions on us from the World Heritage. And, and so this is absolute nonsense. There's a lack of vision, a lack of cooperation between state and federal governments, a lack of governance. And, and frankly, the Queensland government is broke. As I said, $130 billion in debt. Um, you know, we, we can't keep going like this. And so we've got to look at the basic things that create a productive environment, our productive capacity, tax, energy, water, uh, investment in dams. What's the latest on the supply of workers to pick crops? It's okay, one thing to grow them, and I'm from the land myself, so I know what it's like to have uh, an orchard full of uh, wonderful citrus, but if no, or, or having grapes or, or cotton or whatever, whatever the, uh, the, uh, the crop is. But if there's no one to pick it, you're in, you're in deep doo-doos, aren't you? Yes, and, and I've got some figures here in my office prepared. In February, the National Lost Crop Register, which started in December 2020, surpasses $45 million in losses at the farm gate. 
Queensland, it's $33 million in losses. It's affected 85,000 agricultural businesses, and it goes right across the country. There's an example from Western Australia of a watermelon farmer who lost 40% of his crop went to waste because they didn't have workers to pick. In Victoria, celery crops, $50,000 worth, were dumped because no pickers. In Queensland, we've had many vegetable crops ploughed in. Um, a stro strawberry farmer in Wamuran in our state, just, just north of Brisbane here, is planting only one third with only one third of the usual workforce. And regional towns will be affected because incomes come from next season will be reduced because of low harvest. And so what we've got is a lack of cooperation and poor governance in both state and federal. And we need solutions to bring overseas workers. The, the, the shortfall that's being faced at the moment looks like about 26,000 uh, workers. And, you know, the government is giving money to uh, or offering money to, for, for people to relocate, $1,500 to assist in relocation to rural locations for Queensland residents. We've got uh, federal government offering $3,000 for relocating to a capital city, $6,000 if you relocate to a regional area, if you're an Australian worker, $2,000 if you're a visa holder. And Mike, all we've got in the way of take-up is 500 people. Mm. We need to urgently fix the structure of our society in this country because we need to, first of all, fix the tax system for making it easier, making it more incentive to work making it easier to employ people. I mean, why the hell do we have payroll tax? We know that whatever you tax decreases. So why are we taxing payroll? Because that's just decreasing jobs. We also need to make sure we have a tax taxation system that gets foreign multinationals to pay their fair share of tax because Australian companies can't compete against these foreigners who don't pay company tax. The whole structure of our society needs to be reconsidered and thought about from the basics upward to create a productive environment because we've also got a, a welfare system that, dis that destroys the desire to actually work. Can you paint a picture of Australian agriculture at the moment? I mean, I read somewhere the other day, someone said the Australian consumer needs to be educated in the fact that the produce that they're getting from the supermarket is not manufactured in the supermarket. <laughs> it, there, there is another world out there. So there's this great divide. You know, it's almost like the COVID thing. We're all in this together. We're not. This great divide between the metropolitan areas or the, uh, the or even the uh, larger towns compared to smaller towns and the rural areas, this divide and this appreciation from the major metropolitan areas to what Australian agriculture really means to their economy and to their well-being it sort of diminishes as, as time goes on, doesn't it? Yes. And, and are you telling me that, that milk doesn't come from cans in the supermarket? It comes from cows? No, it comes from cans. Oh, does it? Oh, right. I hope. There's, there's a farm around cans, I should say that. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, you know, the ability to, to feed ourselves and clothe ourselves is fundamental. Mm. Uh, without food, we die. So oxygen is, is the highest necessity. Um, they're even trying to tax that, and try, trying to tax the, the air that uh, the air we we live in. Um, they're trying to tax the the food. They're trying to tax everything. But but just just the food itself is is starting. We're starting to import food from overseas. We're importing food from China. 
we're importing food. For, we, we would be able to import rice from Vietnam, except that they're keeping it for themselves now. We used to grow so much rice mm. in the Murray-Darling Basin, but now we import rice. And Vietnam has shut down the export to us because of the coronavirus. We import most three-quarters of the seafood we eat, and yet we're in, in, a, in a, the largest continental shelf fishing zone in the world. And it's, we have 33, one country, we have 33% of the world's, sorry, 36% of the world's marine parks here. Mm. And so we're shutting down our fishing, we're shutting down our farming, we're shutting down our rural areas, but we've got wonderful farmers. And the problem we have is that the wombats who govern us in Brisbane, in the state Labor government, and the Liberals and Nationals and the, and the Labor Party have destroyed federal governments. We have now got people working for the government instead of the government working for people. We've now got a virus that is managing us. Somebody gets out of the health system in this state and they lock down the city of Greater Brisbane. The government is not managing the virus. The virus is managing us. We've got small farms going broke because of Murray-Darling Basin, for example, a lack of water, over-regulation, and, and right throughout the whole country. And so we've got wonderful farmers who take care of the environment because they know the environment increases their productivity, taking care of the environment. They know that the environment maintains the value of their, of their farm. And so we've got farmers who look after the community, but we've got corporates coming in due to the policies of the federal government in particular, but also state government, and destroying family farms, destroying the environment, stealing the water. We've had governments that have... John Howard's government separated with Malcolm Turnbull as water minister and environment minister, separated the access of water allocations from the use of, from, from the ownership of land. So we've had this complete mismatch. But you know what? Farmers in Australia are the, are the best farmers in the world, and we can return to being farmers in this country, exporting more by adding water, enabling workers to, to work and giving farmers the freedom from regulations so that they can get on with the job. You know, all it needs, Mike, is government with a vision, government that will take responsibility for providing a, a, a business environment that encourages investment and hard work and, a product, and restoring our productive capacity, and then getting the hell out of the way and letting farmers get on with it. That's what we need because we've got world-class farmers who are passionate about growing food and farmer and they are used to being respected, but at the moment they're being downtrodden. We need mm. to free them up and let them get on with the job. The, uh, the farmer, um, my dad, he's now retired. Um, uh, you have friends, a lot of uh, friends who are farmers. They have one, one thing that we haven't got a whole lot of in, uh, in Canberra or in major metropolitan areas. It's called common sense. And uh, we need a lot more of that. We need to support our farmers and the industry. Uh, Senator Malcolm Roberts, thank you very much for your time. You're welcome, Mike. Thank you for having me. Joe Biden has called for a global minimum tax of 21% as a way to minimise competition from other countries, such as Ireland, and minimise domestic economic damage from a large increase in US corporate tax. Joe Biden seems to be in overreach mode at the moment with his insistence that the rest of the world follow in his footsteps except when he's climbing stairs. <laughs> now, it would seem when it comes to these global tax rules, Ireland is certainly number one on the hit list. For the last 20 years, Ireland has had a simple message, invest here and you will pay just 12.5% tax on your Irish profits. 
Blake Christian is a partner at Holthouse, Carlin and Van Trite. Uh, Blake, thanks for joining us once again. Thank you for having me. Joe Biden has raised the prospect of their push for a global minimum tax rate. How successful do you think he would be? And I imagine there's going to be strong pushback from countries such as Ireland, where the rate is just 12.5% on their Irish profits. I think you're absolutely right. You know, you're, we're, we're on, you know, just getting our economies restarted. And, uh, you know, tax policy is a big driver in that in attracting international businesses to your uh, to your shores. And so I don't think he's going to have quite the reception that he he thinks he might. Um, I, I, I really I really think it's going to fall on deaf ears. To me, it's it's trying to put together, you know, OPEC, um, you know, when you're um, you know, when, when prices are super low, you know, it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. The administration has suggested a figure of around 21% for the global minimum rate. Would major economies find this high or low compared to their prevailing rates? Now, Ireland is 12.5%, and a lot of the major companies, such as Google um, and, and other countries, other companies which have just escaped my mind, but they're all moving to Ireland because of the 12.5%. So it's pretty, um, there's, there's a great incentive there and pretty appealing, isn't it? Right. Well, his concept is is to uh, put a minimum minimum tax based on book income, and so you know he's he's got a huge disconnect between taxable income and book income, and the reason a lot of companies' taxable incomes and tax liabilities are so much lower is because they're taking advantage of incentives. It might be depreciation. It might be uh, you know capital. In investments, tax credits for um, solar and, and you know green energy, and just because you know some companies take advantage of this, they may end up with a very low tax rate. But they've changed that you know the actions on the part of that company, which is is what you know tax law is you know kind of designed to do. And so um, so you know to answer your question, the uh, the, the blended average tax rate in, in the EU right now is about 21%. In Asian countries, it you know, is a little bit lower at 20%. And then the Americas, so you know, South America, uh, North America, et cetera, are running about 20, uh, 27% on average. And so, um, so really, the, this 21% you know, is probably somewhat strategic. I've also seen 15% kicked around. Um, so I think he's, he's picked that number because, you know, these other countries are already there. What, what, you know, what, what isn't obvious, though, is, you know, the EU, uh, they've got this, you know, the whole, and you, you know they're in Australia too, they've got the whole value-added tax, you know, kind of a national sales tax and, you know, marking, you know, taxing things as they move through production cycles. And so they're collecting on that too. So that 21% is kind of, kind of a little bit of a, a misnomer because it doesn't include the value-added tax. What would the benefits be, though, to the U.S.? Well, they, they, if we're jacking up our rates and, and then people start looking over the fence and saying, oh, you know what, I could start my manufacturing plant over there and cut 
10% off my tax bill, uh, they're going to do it. Um, I mean, it's so, you know, I mean, over the last three decades, it's, you know, we, we have truly become, you know, globalized and it's very easy to start and stop businesses in, in different locations, depending on, you know, regulations and tax rules and things. So um, that's that's what he wants to stop is like, don't don't look over there because the tax rate's going to be the same. Don't you just love the, you know, all the infrastructure we have over here in the U.S.? I think Joe Biden probably should uh, take a leaf out of Donald Trump's book. And if he heard that, he'd fall down again, uh, regardless whether there are stairs or not. Uh, but uh, uh, Donald Trump was pro-business. Uh, he was America's president. Uh, you would s- probably say that Joe Biden is the world's president in, in uh, his uh, feeble mind. And at the same time, it would also show that he's not that concerned about business. Uh, he needs to make money. He needs to raise money from taxes and uh, to, uh, to finance uh, all these halo-driven initiatives. Yeah, it's, um, again, I think he's going to run into a little bit of a buzzsaw when he starts meeting with these other international leaders because it's, you know, to me right now, it's kind of, yeah, we're, we're all, you know, international communities working together for, you know, COVID suppression. But, you know, when it comes to the economy, it's, you know, it's every country first. And uh, I don't, I don't think they're going to, you know, compromise on their tax policy uh, just to satisfy the uh, U.S. president. I I just don't see that environment right now. Now, how would it affect large entities such as Amazon, Google, who currently pay very little tax? Yeah, so... um, Again, because a lot of them, well, a lot of them are, are using, with technology, it's real easy to uh, kind of silo your, uh, your technology in a, in a low-tax country like Ireland, and then, um, you know, they license it all over the world from that low-tax jurisdiction. So they, they've been, you know, I, I don't want to use the word abuse because they're just taking advantage of the way the tax law is written, but uh, th- that that's the big reason that they don't pay much uh, income tax. The the big data companies, so um, they would they would definitely get hurt by this. And they've got you know they have been onshoring some of their profits, but I you know I can't remember if it was Amazon or uh, Alphabet had um, you know ninety billion dollars. Uh, offshore, I think maybe Apple was way up there too, and you know they under under the Trump tax bill they could onshore that at around ten and a half percent, I think it is, um, and you know that brought a lot of money you know into the the U.S. system and also uh, allowed them to expand in the U.S. So um, you know again you know the tax policy does you know does change companies' behavior for the better or worse. And, uh, you know, we'll see that. I, now, I do, I do want to interject, you know, I, if, if I was advising Biden, and, and he hasn't called me, but uh, if, if I was, I would tell him, you know, have a, you know, keep the 21% rate where it is for companies making, say, less than $10 million. 
And uh, but you know, companies making more than that, I, I agree. I think they can pay a slightly higher tax, but I'd rather see it, you know, at twenty five or less. But uh, I think I, I'm disappointed that there's not a discussion that you know smaller businesses should get a um, you know a, a lower tax rate and you know ta- tax the the guys that are making you know hundred hundred million or ten billion. What about countries, if they, say, for example, a country says, okay, Joe, you're president of the universe. You may not know it, but you are. Uh, just watch <laughs> out for those steps. But, but if they say, okay, um, we, we, you know, we will agree to do what you want, but then they offer other incentives to make them more competitive to U.S. corporations, that could be a bit of a problem for uh, Joe's plan of, um, of this great global reset that he's part of. Right, and I wouldn't be surprised that that's you know that's what uh, you know his his policy advisors will be talking behind the scenes with these guys is hey look you know let's let's you know go out with a unified position we can tell everybody we've got a you know this twenty one or maybe it's fifteen percent minimum tax rate but you know you guys can do whatever you want beyond that and um, you know give them interest free loans or or uh, you know, give them tax credits, you know, for the first ten years that'll wipe it out. But you know, I, I think he's looking for you know the headline. Uh, but there could be a lot, as you're suggesting, uh, in the details. Well, I can see Ireland. Uh, once they heard about this, they would have uh, almost choked on the Guinness. But uh, <laughs> then they would have said, in a, in a very kind way, they would have said, "All oh, right, you can bogger off. We're not going to do that." Uh, most countries would say. Look after your own, first of all, look after your own citizens and uh, let us worry about our own country. Now, what about business? Have they reacted to Joe's quest to conquer the world? Well, you know, I, I mean, I had a, a few meetings with clients today and, you know, that was that was their their top issue. You know, is like what you know, what should I do? Should I be selling assets? Should I be reworking my estate plan? Should I change my form of business? And so it's, um, it's certainly top of mind with all, you know, businessmen right now and women. And uh, it's, you know, the uncertainty is not a good thing. Um, you know, it, and it also, it's going to make people do, you know, somewhat irrational things, I'm, I'm afraid, until we know all the details. But uh, it's, it's, uh, it's unnerving to, to most. Now, we can see, I can just see over the distance there, there's Joe, Kamala, a few others there with the little green hats on, tights on, leotards and um, boots. Let me see this. And they got their bow and they got their arrow ready to shoot to bring uh, this increase in tax rate. So it's a terrible sight. He can climb trees. Uh, when will the higher U.S. tax rate be introduced, though? I mean, he got the arrow ready to hit its mark. When does he let go of the arrow? Well, I, I, I mean, I think, I think that, you know, the arrow's, you know, uh, flying. It's just, it's just a matter of uh, him getting, um, you know, enough congressional support for, you know, his infrastructure bill and... Um, and, and the taxes that'll go along with that, and um, you know, there's there's certainly a lot of uh, criticism on on all the pork that's in that bill right now, and um, you know, a lot, a lot of people feel that he's just aimed very high on purpose 
so that he could negotiate down and get to uh, you know a, a, a smaller spending package and and likewise you know the tax rates won't go up quite as high as he's thrown out right now and then people go oh, it's not so bad but you know it's still a you know big change. Well, I see uh, Robin Hood, aka Joe Biden, again in there. He's you know takes from the rich and gives back to the rich, especially with the uh, climate change programs. Uh, hello to Bill Gates uh, and all those others. So he's not giving to the poor, really. He's just moving it from one, from one area to another area. It's going to be very interesting uh, if Robin Hood, aka Joe Biden, does get through most of his wishes. I would think the uh, U.S. is in a state of flux and change going from a capitalistic and a lovely economy uh, to more of a socialistic. In fact, I mean, Fidel must be rolling around with the laughter because Joe's doing what they wanted to do in the first place in Cuba. I, I, would, I would offer some advice to these international leaders when he, when he does go there for this ask about the, uh, the minimum rate. Uh, I think they should say, well, why don't you go back to the U.S. and and have uniformity in all your states on their tax policy. And uh, when, you, when you're done with that, then come back and talk to us. Because, you know, it, that's the great thing about the United States is you know, can have Nevada with zero tax or Wyoming with zero tax in California with 13.3. And then people can decide where do they want to do business? Where do they want to live? What tax policy do they like? And why shouldn't that be the case internationally? You know, we don't we don't need uniformity on uh, on tax policy. Interesting times, especially if you can visualize Joe Biden and Kamala up on a tree with a bow and arrow. That's uh, that's when you need some Irish Guinness. Blake <laughs> Christian from Holthouse, Carlin and Ventrite. Before we go, how does someone get hold of you and uh, talk to you about taxing issues? So our, our website is hcvt.com. Or you can just Google Blake Christian CPA and all my contact information will be there. Blake Christian, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. And that's it for Asia Pacific Today. Thanks for joining us. I'm Mike Ryan.